What if one of the keys to decarbonizing the food that we eat, yes, your chicken burgers, your beef patties, all of those have an impact on the climate because current factory farming of animals is actually one of the major polluters that has been contributing to climate change. But what if we grew the next burger you ate in a lab? It sounds kind of weird, but what if it tastes the same, had the same texture, and all it was was grown in a lab, and it's still the same great meat you've come to love, but now there's none of the carbon impact and none of the ethical harm that we currently have to go through when we come and use factory farming. That's what Orbillion Bio and many other startups in this space are actively pushing to do. Today, we sat down with Patricia from Orbillion Bio. She's a founder that's been backed by Y Combinator, and they are on an active rocket ship to see how they can use lab-grown meat to help slowly decarbonize a big part of one of the carbon emitters and pollution emitters in the agriculture sector. So if you're new here, you're not going to want to miss our upcoming episodes, nor do you want to miss this one. We have a lot of great content covering everything from Bitcoin and carbon offsets to potentially even talking about DERs and how solar and storage could potentially be on your home next. So do us a favor, hit the like button, subscribe, and ring that notification bell. And if you don't enjoy these videos, you can always unsubscribe later, but it really does help us out. So with that being said, Here's Patricia from Orbillion Bio. Patricia, it is amazing to have you here on The Green Room. I can't wait to learn a little bit more about what you guys are doing over at Orbillion. Um, it's genuinely fascinating, especially with the recent growth you guys have been having right out of Y Combinator, obviously on a rocket ship as it relates to the <laughs> climate tech space. Um, so I would love for you to put it in your own words a little bit about what Orbillion's doing and the problem that you guys are really focused on tackling. Sure. And hey, Swarnovs, thanks so much for having me. I am super excited to be here with you and happy to share a little bit about our wild rocket ride. <laughs> so yeah, YC has definitely accelerated us a lot. And I think with their focus also on climate um, change or on companies that are addressing climate change, they help several companies in the space. And you will see a couple of interesting companies coming out uh, of Y Combinator, not only in this batch, but surely also in the future. So at our Billion Bio, we focus on making premium lab-grown meat. And as we know, our current food system contributes to a third of the global greenhouse gas emissions. This is something that requires urgent change and innovation. And cultivated meat or lab-grown meat, however you want to call it, is one part of this change that we can actively do to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, to address climate change, and to make nutritious food available to a global population that is steadily increasing. So as it relates to lab-grown meat as a sector, obviously we see companies like Beyond Meat and such. How do you differentiate? Um, because like typically when 
I might think about purchasing alternative meats at the store, my mind immediately goes to something like uh, a Beyond Burger um, or something along those kind of lines. How do you differentiate and what about that resort uh, or substitute doesn't make um, make it good enough to be able to drive people to, to depend on that as the alternative or the sustainable alternative to meat? Yeah, you're bringing something very important up. You know, there are a variety of different alternative proteins right now. It's actually a pretty amazing time to be alive because as a society for centuries, we have domesticated animals, we have started growing crops, and now we're at the next level, as I would call it. We can build on our agricultural past combine it with the technology and science uh, insights of the last century, of the last decades really, and create something new. New foods such as plant-based meats and um, proteins that are generated by precision fermentation and cell-cultured meat. So the differentiator for us is that while Beyond Meat and Impossible are using plant proteins and other ingredients to make something that tastes and feels just like meat, we are making meat. Meaning we are taking cells from an animal's body and um, we grow these cells in a bioreactor. And that's similar to how you would make beer. So you have a nutrient dense hmm. solution in a steel tank, you put animal cells in, you grow them. And in the end, what you have is meat, just like you would harvest it from an animal, but without needing to grow all the unnecessary things such as bones and feelings. So, so first off, beer has animal proteins in it? <laughs> no, not really, but the process is similar. So we call that a bioprocess. It. So it's like a big steel, steel tank, right? So wine, beer fermentation. That's what most people are familiar with. Got it. Got it. Okay. So it's, it's a, it's a process that's very akin to what you guys are doing when it comes to lab grown meat. Um, so when it comes to the space, um, mm -hmm. of building, I guess, sustainable food without having to harm or kill animals or unethically farm them, uh, a common conception that tends to pop up is that, well, using a veggie burger or even something that tastes like meat um, could be good enough. So have you seen that there's actual demand from consumers and companies that I want authentic meat without the <laughs> emotional overhead and burden of uh, knowing that there was a cow or a chicken or an animal that actually laid down their life uh, for me to enjoy this nourishment. Um, what, where have you seen the market really pulling um, from this entire industry, I suppose? Yeah, you know, what, what we do at Our Billion is our goal is to make flavorful meats because flavor is really what we're craving when we eat meat. And there is always this... Um, of course, we're doing our consumer research, but if you ask consumers about their preferences and then if you look at what they really buy, there's often a, a gap. And that's clear because there are the reasons or the job that something, a product does for the consumer, does for us, that we expect that product to do. 
And then there's other reasons why we buy or don't buy certain products. And I always think about it when, you know, I, I'm on a road trip and I'm hungry and I want a quick burger and I go to a fast food restaurant. Do I care where that meat comes from? Because I know it's industrially right. farmed and I know where these animals come from. So, yes, I do care. But at the same time, I'm hungry and I really need something to eat that fills my belly and makes me happy. So we want to offer consumers an alternative that they can eat, that nourishes them and that makes them feel great about what they choose to eat. So there's absolutely demand for that, not only in the studies that we did, but also in, in other studies. And if you look at um, the demand, the increasing demand for plant-based proteins and other alternatives, yes, there's a huge market there. And as for plant-based proteins and, and other alternatives, you know, you don't eat the same thing every day. There will be right. the Impossible Burger or Beyond Burger on Monday and on Wednesday you eat Orbillion's Wagyu beef. And on Friday, maybe you have a pork chop from um, the farmer that does regenerative farming um, around in your neck of the woods, uh, something that you may buy at the farmer's market, for example. So. I think there is a lot of opportunities for different products to come into the market, especially with that really rapidly increasing demand for meat, for protein um, in not only the Western, but also in other parts of the world. So what have you found that, that a lot of people don't understand about this alternative food or alternative meats space, right? Lab-grown meats um, or vegetables that uh, or soy based uh, burgers in this case that may taste like a meat. Um, what is that one thing that most companies and individuals and investors are really missing when it comes to the alternative meat space that you think Arbillion has given you the opportunity in terms of experiences to really discover that really unique insight? Have you come across that one really powerful perspective that you think could be really eye-opening to not only our listeners, but other investors and founders curious about the alternative meats space? Look, Swarnov, I am super passionate about our food system and about agriculture. And I've worked in this space for a couple of years now. And the one thing that really struck me is when I came across it in a book, how in the last decades, we had to increase our agricultural output so much that the focus of anything that we uh, are growing, be it uh, grains or animals, we focused on increasing the yield above anything else. Nobody was thinking about flavor anymore. If you ask people right now, would they know that there are more than one variety of wheat or of corn? or rice, many people don't because that's what we're eating. We're, we're really, we're reducing the biodiversity of the foods that we eat, the diversity of nutrition that we have because we're sacrificing it for yield, because that's the only way we were able to produce the amount of foods that a growing populace needs, right? Why would we do the same mistake in cellular agriculture if we don't have to? So what we do is we select the most flavorful breeds for our cultured meat. We're not just taking any cow or any chicken. We're taking the most flavorful variant to be able to increase the diversity of what we're eating. Because in cellular ag, we are not restricted 
to having to have one certain breed of cattle that takes on muscle mass so much faster than others because that's the only thing we can truly scale in industrial agriculture to be able to meet the low prices, to be able to meet the demand and so on. In cellular hmm. agriculture, in cultivated meat, we do not have these restrictions. So let's start with the best meats, with the meats that are not scalable in classical agriculture. Ah, so really what you guys have discovered is that in the alternative meat space, the traditional approach has always been how can we farm more animals or genetically modify even those animals to be able to meet the production and supply or the demand needs that not only consumers, but corporations, cooks, chefs, etc. also have. However, when you look at the alternative meats space, a company like Arbillion can come in and provide a unique scalable solution that also comes with the environmental and ethics angle of we don't have to kill any animals. So it's more about finding a way to scale something that was truly unscalable before where getting a certain kind of beef or getting a certain kind of chicken, that wasn't available to these individuals before. But with lab-grown kind of meats, we can actually fill that demand as opposed to just going after the market or the, the niche of saying, hey, um, we want alternative meats because it's, it's good for the planet. So we're also bringing in a bottom line discussion here is what I'm hearing. Um, does, does that sound like what uh, you're trying to convey here? That we need to be looking more at the scalability side rather than necessarily just the climate angle? Exactly. It's scalability. It's also democratization of access to food, right? Because who can afford to buy Wagyu? Right. And in the future, yeah. yeah, I mean, we can have if we and that's our goal at our billion bio to really drive down the cost of production of cultivated meat, then we can have Wagyu for everyone. Right. And then 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 a delicacies on everyone's table as opposed to <laughs> currently limited to to those who have saved up enough um, exactly or or went and uh, went on and had a brilliant exit for doing really good things in the world <laughs> exactly but but also think what it can do to the world right if we really right. are able to democratize access to nutritious food to countries in the world that don't have that access right now to people that don't have that access right now. I think that is the long term solution that we should strive for, because with animal agriculture, we will not be able to really provide all the people that need it with um, the nutrients they need. And we see that already now, right? A lot of countries, as soon as there are more and more people that can afford to buy meat, they will buy meat. Right. So is that is that an underlying signal that you're starting to see is that people are understanding or companies and investors are at least seeing that in a decade out as lab grown meat becomes far more established um, or commoditized, I, I, I think is the correct word here. Is is that what people are projecting is that lab grown meat is just the next evolution in terms of getting the solving a 
a global world hunger issue if a number of companies participate in this. Are you starting to see more and more companies in the space pop up trying to to scale certain kinds of meats? Obviously, there's a billion with things like Wagyu beef. Um, but is that how you're starting to see the market in a 10-year future kind of perspective? Yes, definitely. And I want to invite uh, investors and, and other others in the community to see that future with us. Because for me, there is no other future than a future where we will have a repertoire of different alternative proteins, among them lab-grown meat and traditionally farmed meat and plant-based meats, because we will need it to sustain the the current population and the future population. So in the future, this will be a huge market and there will be many winners in that market as similarly as we don't see just one meat company dominating the global meat market, right? So this is the future that I see. And I think in order to build that future, we need to take big steps to go there. And our, at our Billion Bio, we are ready for that. So it sounds uh, it sounds a lot like you guys have a very, very powerful vision for the future. And I've personally learned a lot. And one thing I like to ask anyone who comes on the show is what's that big inflection point in your career? Um, because based on your bio, it's 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 quite fascinating. And I'll let you share it in your own words just from perusing through your LinkedIn um, and, and reading the reports that have come out after your seed round closed. Um, but, uh, what, what's that one thing that you found immensely valuable that you wish you knew back when you were starting Orbillion or back when you were starting in your career, going from company to company and, and being a major contributor across the board? Um, what's, what's that background journey been like? And what's that one thing that you wish you really knew when you were getting started? So, you know, I'm originally from Austria and I came to the U S to UC Berkeley for my postdoc, um, about eight years ago. This was the inflection point, the environment at UC Berkeley in Silicon Valley, all these amazing, smart and driven people here and being able to interact with them to exchange ideas. Uh, I met my co-founder, for example, one of my co-founders at UC Berkeley. This was so important. And the one thing that I wish that I understood earlier was how entrepreneurship can really change the world and make a huge impact a positive impact other than generating shareholder value, which of course is important, but really generating a lasting value for generations by bringing out products that impact the world by creating jobs, by creating new economies, such as cellular agriculture, where we will see a lot of you know, people with specialized skills being needed, but also something that just think about a future where um, people don't have to work in meatpacking plants under dehumanizing conditions, but can work in a different kind of environment. So that's something that I wish I knew a little bit earlier. So when it comes to what it really sounds like is as it relates to entrepreneurship, uh, I think this is this goes common for for every entrepreneur that's made it uh, looks back and says, hey, <laughs> if I knew it was as easy of solving a problem that impacted a, a number of people, 
um <laughs> we'd probably see far more people in the space but uh with that being said uh patricia I am going to let you get back uh, to solving the world hunger issues in in at least any capacity possible, as it seems like your guys' rocket ship will be one of those companies uh, we'll be talking about in 10 years, and hopefully you're on our podcast 10 years from now so we can look back and, uh, and enjoy this conversation as well. Um, but with that being said, uh, are there any links, things that you would like to add um, as final thoughts, insights that you would like to share with founders or investors curious about this niche of lab-grown meat or alternative meats. And finally, if people want to continue the conversation after, um, which they can obviously do in the YouTube comment section, um, how could they reach out to you directly um, or your company directly if they have further questions and want to keep the conversation going? Sure. So we have a website, uh, rbillion.com, where we invite you to sign up for our waitlist for future tastings. So I definitely invite you all to sign up there. This is also a great way to get in touch with us. We're also active on different socials. Feel free to interact with us there. We are very responsive, usually. <laughs> and for links and things to check out in the space, for sure, um, there. I mean, our webpage, but the Good Food Institute, uh, GFI.org, has amazing resources in the space, and so does New Harvest. So I would really follow these two resources for new information in the space. And then I encourage everyone to get involved, be it as an investor, be it as an entrepreneur, or starting to work for one of these promising companies. Oh, and by the way, we are hiring too, so definitely check that out. Awesome. Patricia, I appreciate you coming on. <laughs> Thank you, Swarnav.